0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Episode 63 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Samantha Leaf. Samantha is from Washington, D.C., where she works for the Department of Defense, and she also owns and runs a fitness business with her husband, where she also works as a personal trainer. Welcome, Samantha.
1: Hi, Jen. How are you? I am fabulous. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm so, so grateful to be a guest on the podcast. Well, I'm really, really glad to have you,
0: especially, you know, a personal trainer, someone in the fitness industry, because there's so many misconceptions about fasting and muscle building and timing meals and (laughs) all of that. So I hope we can really get into some of that today.
1: Definitely. I'm excited to talk about all of that.
0: Great. Well, you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and and when was that?
1: Okay. It's kind of a long story like they all are, but... I will say that from as long as I can remember, in being a child in elementary school, I was always sort of 30 pounds overweight. That was just how it was. And when I was about 12 years old, I became a vegetarian. And I always ate fish and I always ate dairy, but I had a thing about meat,
0: Was it just kind of like you didn't like the texture of it or the idea of meat, the animal part of
1: it? It wasn't even the animal part. I was sitting around the Thanksgiving Day table. I think I was in sixth grade, and I was just watching my family gnawing on the turkey leg. And I just all of a sudden had a flash, flesh, blood, bone. And I looked at my arm, and I just—that was it. That was it? My
0: daughter in law It was so weird to say daughter-in-law, by the way— daughter-in-law is a vegetarian and she wasn't always, she came to be one um, while in college, but it was a similar kind of a thing. They were cooking meat and she was like, oh, uh-uh, I just can't.
1: Well, and that's the thing is that fish and seafood never bothered me. Back then dairy didn't bother me, but I was off meat for years and years and years. And then- when I was about 29, I think, I was living in Morocco. I had a, I was there on a Fulbright scholarship. And in Morocco, every Friday they eat a couscous, and that couscous usually has meat in it. And I had had a very strange dream two days before where I was dreaming that I was eating white meat, chicken breast dipped in cumin. It was very, very detailed, very specific. And I thought, when I woke up the, the next morning, I thought, did I dream that because there was a rooster crowing all night and I wanted it to be quiet, or is it You're something eat bigger? that rooster? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so So um, that Friday, I did start to eat chicken, and it's something that probably never would have happened if I was in the States. I can see my brother would have been making fun of me, oh, the big vegetarian's going to eat chicken, something like that. But anyway, I started eating meat again much later in life, and then after I met my husband and we met, actually, we were both deployed in Iraq. That's where we met and met him. And we knew that we had to do something different job-wise after we got married. So we decided to go to school together, become personal trainers and start a fitness business. At that time, I was still 30 pounds overweight. And I thought, if people are going to pay me, to help them lose weight and to be their trainer, then I need to once and for all figure out how to lose weight. So I did that. And the course was six months long. And in that course, we were taught to count calories, right? Calories in, calories out. This was during the biggest loser craze. And I loved Jillian Michaels. Oh, me too. Oh, yeah. I had her 30-day shred. Is that what it was called? Uh, that's one of her plans. Yes, she's got many. But anyway, we were taught a very complicated mathematic equation for exactly how to take into account your basal metabolic rate, your even your calories from digestion, the thermo um, thermogenic effect of food. So it was a very complicated math problem, and it was working. In that six months, using that formula and working out... And tracking calories, I lost weight for like for the first time in my life, lost weight and started to look like a proper trainer. At that time, I was eating meat; I was sort of eating everything. Then my husband and I discovered CrossFit, (laughs) and CrossFit we became CrossFit Level One trainers, and we started doing nothing but CrossFit. And in CrossFit, I don't know if you're aware, but Paleo lifestyle and CrossFit go hand in hand. Right.
0: I've heard that before.
1: Oh, yes. It's, it's sort of like a cult. <laughs> so we fully drank the Kool-Aid and started the Paleo Lifestyle. And so at the time we were in California and we were doing our fitness business full time and working out five or six days a week. And I really was in the best shape of my whole life. I weighed probably 140 pounds, which is, which is great for me.
0: How tall are you? I'm 5'5". Five, five. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And you were probably extremely muscular, so I bet you were so lean at 140 pounds with all that working out and the crossfitting.
1: Well, yes, and I'll talk a little bit more about actual numbers later because I think that that's another area where people can sometimes get confused when they're picking the the goal weight. So I was in great shape. I was eating paleo. So paleo is meat, vegetables, uh, seafood, nuts, seeds. But no grains, no legumes, and that was just, I accepted that as normal. I don't, (laughs) now I don't know why, but I did that for four years and ate that way religiously for four years. Now, the good thing about paleo is that it's no sugar, it's no processed food, so it is pretty healthy, and you're supposed to get at least two cups of vegetables at every meal, so it's not like you're just eating meat. It's not like the carnivore thing. Sometimes people do have that
0: misconception, don't they? They think paleo, you're just gnawing on chicken
1: legs all day. (laughs) That's not. No, that is absolutely not true. I was eating a lot of eggs and I was eating tons of vegetables and tons of fruit. So then at that point, we decided to come back to Washington, DC. And uh, my husband is originally from Albania. And at this time I had my stepkids immigrated as well. So I went from a full-time personal trainer working out all the time and having almost nothing else to do but focus on my fitness and my nutrition to being a full-time mom for the first time to a 12 and a 15-year-old and back to a government job. So in my head, I went through a little bit of a rebellion, like, oh, I don't have to look like a trainer anymore. And I started to sort of let myself go.
0: (laughs) Well, I get it because it is a lot of effort. You were putting in like so much effort to maintain this, you know, like I've got to keep this trainer body, right?
1: It was that, but also when my kids got here from Albania, food was the toughest part of their acculturation. They were sort of used to eating the same 10 things and nothing else. And so when I would make food for them and they wouldn't eat it, I felt obligated to you know, not throw it away and eat it. So, I was eating a lot of regular pasta and things like that and just just like treating my body like a garbage can, really, just eating a lot of food. It was food that they weren't going to eat but you just threw
0: it away by eating it.
1: Yes, and I was raised to not throw away food, but it was something there was probably something more if I was talking to a psychologist, but <laughs> But I just started to slowly put on weight, is the point. So, over probably the next two, three years, I went from 140 to 100 and probably 190 pounds, I think was maybe the highest. I'm not even sure if I took a weight, but you couldn't really tell. I sort of carry weight really well and I was still working out the whole time. And, you know, I could still fit in a lot of the clothes, not all of them, but I, I, I hit it well, I guess. Yeah. We're the
0: same height. So when I was around 190, I was probably wearing a 14, 16. Mm -hmm. Were you, or were you like really hiding it way better than that?
1: Well, I, I never had um, higher than a 12, but we all know for ourselves what is what starts to become completely
0: unacceptable. <laughs> See, I was probably so much more fluffy because I didn't have the muscle mass. That you did, so it makes sense that I would have been bigger at that size than you are.
1: Well, absolutely, and the thing is, is that's that's where the numbers are sort of arbitrary because one of my favorite CrossFit coaches from California, who's just beautiful and has a beautiful body, and she weighs like 180 pounds, and that's and it looks amazing on her. But if somebody who never thought about weight they would look at her and go, oh, she probably weighs 130 because all women seem to think that a woman that looks good weighs 120, 115. <laughs> right, right. And, and the muscle is such a big part of the equation. Exactly. So I finally, I think it was 2017 in July I'm still pretty much eating paleo, but I'm I'm making a lot of the exceptions, you know, when it comes to eating things that my kids aren't eating. And while they're getting better with food, I haven't really made any real changes. So it was July of 2017, and my husband and I watched that documentary that's called What the Health. And that completely floored me. Because for the past four years, I had been telling my clients to eat 40-30-30, 40% carbs, 30% fat, 30% protein. You have to get protein. You have to get protein. Typical personal trainer stuff. And this documentary floored me because I had a vegetarian background and I didn't know because we weren't taught this in our personal training school that plants have protein. So cold turkey, (laughs) I went off meat off eggs i had been off dairy anyway and i essentially went whole foods plant-based and whole foods plant-based is exactly the same as paleo except for you replace the meat with whole grains legumes and you're still not eating sugar or processed food so it's very clean So I started doing that, and I'm the type of person where once I get involved in something new, I do as much research as I can, and I immediately found all the YouTubers and all the famous plant-based doctors and just went in 100%. Me too. I'm the same way. I get it. Yes, and I know you had a plant-based guest on one of the... Yes, I did. Leah was one of them, I know. And I think, was she in Washington, D.C.? I don't remember. Hmm, I can't remember
0: where Leah is from, but she's plant based. She may be vegan and also low fat vegan. I think she really follows Joel Furman.
1: Okay. Well, yes, he's one of the doctors. So I did lose a little bit of weight when I started doing that. And I really, really wanted to believe that some of my, I guess, plant based idols kept talking about how you could eat as much as you want, as often as you want, as long as you're eating the right kind of food. See, I guess I always see that as a challenge. Like, okay,
0: let me try because I could really eat a lot
1: of food. (laughs) Me too. Me too. I'm also a volume eater. So that was always there. And while I felt great, I had really um, improved sleep. My skin looked really good. I had a lot of great energy. And I did this for two years. And then one day, because I was on a plant-based Facebook group with over 170,000 people, one day somebody made a comment about the perfect combination is intermittent fasting and whole foods plant-based. And the only other time I had heard about intermittent fasting was one of my colleagues at work who eats once a day. He's been doing it for years. And I was the biggest naysayer to him. You're ruining your metabolism. You have to eat. You have to eat first thing in the morning. A healthy metabolism means you're eating within an hour upon waking up. All of that. That was me. But it stayed in the back of my head because this person is in phenomenal shape. <laughs> Clearly not tanking his metabolism or burning his muscle. Right, exactly. So after I saw that comment in the plant-based group, I started asking a couple of questions. And then, because I believe that everything happens for a reason and the universe sends us messages as we need to receive them, I heard a podcast, it was on the Jillian Michaels podcast podcast. And it was somebody talking about time-restricted eating. I should have written down the guy's name because now I don't remember. But he was talking about time-restricted eating and about the amazing anti-aging benefits of it. So I guess he was talking about a 16:8, And he was saying, it's very simple. It's four hours before you go to bed, eight hours of sleep, and four hours the next day. So I had been listening to that podcast on June 2nd, 2019, and started that day. I think the same day, because of course I searched intermittent fasting in the podcast, and I found your podcast and the other one with Melanie, immediately started listening to that. So just like I did with plant-based, started going fully into The research got your book read delay don't deny listen to i'm finally caught up by the way with all of the episodes of this one and the the other one and now it's been five months and i am down to 158 pounds so what is that it's only a 14 pound weight loss but i look completely different i feel completely different i started with a sixteen-eight for 30 days and the funny thing about that was starting in june i had my son's high school graduation i had a wedding in michigan i had a couple of trips for work so it was a weird time to start but i still did it despite all of those events and at 30 days the body recomposition was phenomenal And when I got back from the wedding on July 2nd, my husband said, what are you doing? You look completely different. I love that. But guess what? When I stepped on the scale on July 2nd, I had lost one pound but I don't care. (laughs) I knew that I had all those social events and all those things, and I still was fitting into the dress I bought to wear at that wedding was something I would never have fit into before. So I felt amazing. I had the mental clarity. I had the energy. I had this sort of fasting high, this calm, euphoric happiness, even better sleep than just on the Whole Foods plant-based. So I knew it was something that was easy and comfortable. And then right in July, my husband started and he is your typical personal trainer who looks perfect. He's completely cut. (laughs) He does not know what it feels like to be overweight, never had a weight problem in his whole life. And his biggest selling point was the autophagy. So once he heard about that, he was on board and he's been doing it ever since. Does he also do like a 16-8? Oh, no. (laughs) So uh, June was my 16-8. July was my 18-6. And then from August until now, I'm doing 24. And then my husband has sort of, he's starting to do like most days he does maybe 22-2 or 23-1. He's taking it a little bit. Not extreme, but he just likes to eat a ton of food at one sitting and then be done. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's a
0: very good um, pattern for a whole lot of people. For me, it's not. I can't eat enough food for the day in one hour.
1: I mean, I've had a few days where I've done it, but generally speaking, that four-hour window window is perfect for me. And unlike you and Melanie, I have an 8 a.m. to 12 noon window. And that sort of evolved on its own because when I first started, I stopped eating at 6 p.m., started at 10 the next morning. But when I'm most hungry is in the morning and mid-morning. And see, I think I think it's
0: fabulous that you found a time that really feels right to you. And instead of trying to shove it into the time of the day because, well, that's when Jen and Melanie feel better doing it. I think that's fabulous that you, your window is eight to noon because that feels right to you. I just want to reiterate that for everybody that um, it really is going to be different.
1: Yeah, And the hardest part is when I have, when I'm invited for dinner, like tomorrow I'm invited to a friend's for dinner and I know I'm going to have to stretch it out and have a longer window because, you know, this is life. Yeah. and. So <laughs> I'm just like, you just have
0: to do it sometimes, right? And the, the dinner social events will happen. So you just have, do you have just an all-day window or do you shift it up? How do you handle those events?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I've had in the past five months, I've had four 24-hour fasts or 25, and they were all by accident. They weren't because I said, I'm going to try my first 24-hour fast. Um, sometimes it's when you wake up the next morning and it's already been... 17 hours in my case or 16. And I say, you know, I feel completely fine. I'm going to wait until 24 just because I don't want to have an eight hour window to do this dinner thing. I still want it to be four or something like that. So, so you'll shift it. Yeah. And I haven't decided because 20 hours for me tomorrow is going to be 745 in the morning. <laughs> so I'll just decide in the morning how I feel.
0: Yeah, that's the, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to decide right now. Exactly. And if you decide, I'm going to go ahead and eat, I have a long, long window today. There's nothing wrong with that either.
1: Well, like you said, it's all about listening to your body. And if I feel really hungry, I'll eat. And if I don't, I won't. I know that if I have sugar or alcohol, the fast is really hard, a lot harder the next day. It's, diff- it's difficult, but you know the funny thing is when you think about all the benefits of fasting, the autophagy, the mental clarity, the increased energy, the happiness, the improved sleep, and the, the anti-disease part of it, all of those things are the exact same benefits that exercise brings. Oh, yeah. And because, you know, exercise also increases
0: autophagy Mm -hmm. and reduces stress.
1: Yep. All that improves your mood, increases your energy. And so I feel like I'm getting now a double dose and I have used um, I'm in your Facebook group the advanced and the regular one. And that's been a a real blessing because in the beginning, when I kept reading about people exercising in the fasted state, that was a little scary for me. I bet it was. It was, but because I read a post of somebody that said, you have to ease your way into it. You don't just go in at hour 19 of a fast and go as hard as you possibly can. So because of help from people from the group, I did, I eased my way in, I took a few weeks, I waited until I had completed that full 30 days of 16-8, which I think is really important to do. And, yeah, I mean, there's so many people who sort of it seem to make it look like, like a contest, like who can get to the smallest window the soonest. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that makes it – it can be really hard for a lot of people. In fact, in, in my new book, which is coming out in 2020, Fast Feast Repeat – Available for pre-order now. <laughs> Sorry, had to throw that in there. But um, I actually have that twenty-day, twenty-eight-day fast start. It's called, and the F, the A, the S, and the T stand for for different things. But the whole point of it is to fully accept that that twenty-eight days is your adjustment period. And that is not the time to have expectations like on day two, you're fully adapted and going to lose a ton of
1: weight. I think that's excellent. And that, and that's that's the one thing that I find myself commenting a lot in the Facebook group is that it's really important, at least for me, it was very beneficial to do that 16-8 for 30 days. And then even when I switched to 18.6, it wasn't a conscious decision. It just sort of happened by itself. And I think you do know once you become fully fat adapted. And somebody had posted a list in the Facebook group of like, how do you know when you're fat adapted? And I wish I had saved it because it had a lot of good things in there.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like people ask this a lot. And you know that it, it's happened when you're able to, you know, go through the fast easily. And I don't mean you never have a twinge of hunger because, you know, sitting here, my husband just came home for lunch. I can hear him in the kitchen and I heard the microwave go off and my stomach went growl. (laughs) That doesn't mean I'm not fat adapted. It just means I'm like, ooh, there's the food noise. And that's one thing. But you have great mental clarity. You have energy during the fast. You're not hangry. You can do physical things during the fast. Easily, like when I just moved and I was able to haul boxes all day long, that's when you know you're fat adapted. Just just the good feeling and not feeling like missing a meal is an emergency. You know, when I had to go, you know, I went about mm, 12. I'm trying to think. I went, I traveled through time zones. It was probably 27 hours because of traveling in an event and I didn't want to eat till after the event. I was able to get through it without being shaky or starving. That's how you know. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and for some people, that can take up to eight weeks. So, Oh, yeah. Somebody
0: said yesterday, they're like, yeah, I think the adjustment period is one to two weeks. I'm like, oh, no. No. (laughs) It depends. It depends. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. If someone was eating keto before and already fat adapted from that, the transition to intermittent fasting might be super quick.
1: Yeah, and that's the other thing is that I I still am eating whole foods, plant-based, but... Probably about two weeks into intermittent fasting, I started to crave fish, and it was very strong, and I do eat fish, so I'm I'm very strange. There's not a label for me anymore because I still don't eat dairy, but I do eat fish. <laughs> I know you don't like fish, but.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't, I just don't like fish. I wish I liked fish. I was reading a list of all the best foods for, I can't remember what it was, DHA or DHEA. I can't remember. Some kind of a good, good thing for your brain. Some kind of a good fat. And it was all these fatty fish. And I'm like, darn it.
1: (laughs) It had eggs were on the list. I'm like, I'll just have to eat eggs. So do you eat eggs or do you still know? I I still don't eat eggs. If I eat something that an egg is in, maybe, but I haven't had and just a plain egg. I'm thinking about it because I used to eat eggs all the time. I used to eat two every day when I was paleo. So we'll see what I'm doing is just listening to my body. And if I love that, and if one day it wants eggs, it'll get eggs. I think it's
0: fascinating that when you were 12, you were
1: like, I think I need to be a vegetarian. Like your body kind of knew. It does. And the thing is, is when I went four years without eating potatoes, and brown rice and lentils and things like that because that's what the paleo community says to do. Even though I did look great and I felt great, now that I'm eating those things, it feels very right. And I love when you talk about the blue zones and those type of things because that makes so much sense. You know, how else do you explain that large – anywhere where there's a large population of humans and the poor people are surviving on potatoes, beans, and whole grains. And then the rich people are getting diseases because they're eating meat and dairy and sugar and all of those other things.
0: Yeah, all the refined foods. We see that throughout history. You know, you looked at the kings of England, right? And they're all just – Sick and overweight, and have gout, and <laughs> yeah. And then the peasants are like, <laughs> I mean, you know, the peasants had their other problems, but I'm pretty sure my ancestors were those peasants. Well, I eating the potatoes. <laughs> I have not
1: done the. Um, I actually have the 23andMe data, but I've never done the nutritional analysis. I'm not sure what that would change. Uh, What's your genealogy? Do you know what that is? Like your your ancestry? Definitely. Um, Russian and Hungarian. So what did they eat traditionally in Russia and Hungary? See, I don't even know. That's a good point. I mean, I know in Russia they they do eat a lot of things like borscht, and there is meat. Is borscht potato? Borscht is the beets, the the stew with the beets. Beets, okay. And I had a really good plant-based version of it that I made with like seven different vegetables. But uh, my grandfather left Russia when he was a month old, so... It's not like my family is really from there, I guess. And then on the Hungarian side, I've never looked into their cuisine, but that's a good that's a good question. I should look into that.
0: I really do think that the the theory of of using the DNA analysis to as far as the foods, just you know, your ancestors DNA adapted to where they lived for generations. Like we're all moving around like crazy, you know, you've been here there and everywhere, but your ancestors stayed put. They evolved in that region with those foods for a long period of time.
1: True, and I think that um, in in addition to that, whatever that genetic information is for nutrition is the same with disease. So they say that if you have a predisposition to heart disease or cancer or stroke or something like that, that's that's one thing. That's that's the gun, but the way that you live your life is the trigger. So just because you might be predisposed to something doesn't mean you're definitely going to get it. Exactly. That's really important to understand. You know, my husband
0: didn't want to have the health analysis for his DNA. I gave him the the standard for um i guess a birthday or something and he's like i don't want to know i don't want to see the health stuff i'm like okay we won't we won't get that part but he he like i think would think it would mean he was de- you know destined <laughs> i'm like that's really not how it works i want to know so i can say hey if i'm predisposed to alzheimer's then it's even more important to you know do the things that are for neurological health
1: exactly that was actually the only thing that i had on there was late onset Alzheimer's. Yeah, I didn't have anything, any of those.
0: I was like fab, fabulous. Like none of the, I had like possibly cystic fibrosis as far as like, you know, passing it on. But I didn't, and I already have my children and they, you know, I'm done with that. That would have concerned me, you know, if I hadn't had children yet. But it was really fun to see. Yeah, it looks like I'm. if I keep a great lifestyle, I should age well.
1: Yes, that's why the whole thing with food is like, all this talk about, well you can eat whatever you want and food is all about a party. We you know we used to tell we still tell our clients that food is fuel. It's not just about fun. <laughs> it's there to fuel us and to help us grow and to give us energy for the things that we need. So for me, it's been easy to eat clean because it's part of my business, I guess. And I and I enjoy it. I mean, that's what I, one of the things I started craving deeply when I first started intermittent fasting was fresh raspberries and fresh blackberries. Ooh, that, I love berries. Blackberries and raspberries mm-hmm. are my favorite. I was eating them every day, like couldn't stop eating them. And that was so much more delicious than some sort of cake or pie or cookie because I think just because I have been eating clean for so long, those are the things that make me happy. (laughs) And this is something people misunderstand. Eat whatever you want
0: isn't code for go eat pie. (laughs) You are eating whatever you want, Samantha. Promo code IF Stories 10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's BIOPtimizers.com slash IF Stories. Promo code IF Stories 10. I am eating whatever I want. The things I've wanted have changed. That's the part that's the magic. You know, I didn't start off eating the way I eat now. And so I now want to eat the nutritious things, not because I'm like turning down my, you know, looking down my nose at the cake. The cake doesn't appeal. And the cake doesn't taste very good. (laughs) Well, like some cake would, but most cake, you really start to realize that high quality cake that's going to be worth it is few and far between. Like I've got a blueberry pound cake recipe that is worth it, (laughs) but it's homemade. But one that you get at the grocery store under one of those plastic domes is not going to be very good.
1: That just made me think of something else. So I always make my own food. And usually because my window is 8 a.m. to noon, I'm bringing my food for the day with me to work. And whenever I bring my own food, I feel completely normal. But when I travel And I'm eating something that I bought somewhere, even if it's something that's pretty healthy, I find that if I have to pay attention, like if I'm at um, some sort of a conference and I have to either listen to someone else speak or watch something else, I all of a sudden get not tired, like I want to go to sleep, but something like, you know how your eyes start to shut and you can't control it? That doesn't happen to me when I'm controlling my food, so I don't know what that is. It is. It's really fascinating, and sometimes it's like, okay, this is why I don't want to (laughs) eat. (laughs) somewhere else. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. And it's just the quality is just not the same. Exactly. And I think I've just been, because when I was plant-based, it was constantly having to control when am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Especially during travel and things like that. So now it's so easy. I love traveling as an intermittent faster. It's amazing. It really is. And you can be so choosy about what and when you eat and be in control the whole time. And just think about how much, that's the shocking revelation is how much and how often I used to eat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I I, t- I think I talked about this on the,
0: the previous episode or the one before that of this podcast. I was just in Portland recently and I traveled and, you know, watching people in the airport at, you know, seven in the morning, getting breakfast and knowing they're going to line up again for lunch and also dinner. And I'm like, oh,
1: I can't imagine doing that again. Some of that is boredom, and some of that is because every single social function in our lives revolve around food and beverages. I just found the more I ate, the more, more I wanted to eat. Yes. And that's the problem with having eight-hour windows once in a while. <laughs> that's exactly what happens. <laughs> but what's funny is I came
0: home, and the very next day after having a very big eating day and then traveling you know, on the red eye and coming back home, that next day, I think I went 24 hours. I just didn't even want food. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And it's great because I was literally full. The whole 24-hour thing was always sort of intimidating to me when I read about other people doing, I do 24 hours once a week or I do 36 hours. I always thought, why would you do that? What, what do you get from that? And then one day I was traveling from Alabama back to D.C. and the only thing that they had available at the airport in Montgomery, they were all things that I wouldn't eat anyway. Um, not window worthy at all. So I said, all right, I guess I'm doing 24 hours.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm not doing it. Cause
1: you knew how you would feel and then you're just doing it. And then it's not a big deal. Yep. So that's, that's been great. So now I've joined that club. <laughs> that's when, you know, you've really arrived. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Where it's not an emergency. Um, it's worth it to wait a couple more hours so you can get something that you really want, because that's, that's where the feast part comes in. And I don't know if I haven't reached appetite correction or if maybe that doesn't exist for me, but I can still eat a lot when I eat.
0: (laughs) I think appetite correction doesn't mean not being able to eat a lot if eating a lot is what's appropriate for your body. Yesterday, I had great appetite correction, meaning I was extra hungry and I ate a huge snack and a big dinner. And I consider that to be appetite correction because my body needed more food. Because the day before that, I'd had like a 24-hour fast and because I'd
1: just gotten home. So appetite correction does work both ways. That's true. And I know you've talked about this before, but there's always that stereotype in society that you should eat small portions and it's all about portions. No, it's about eating until satiety and making sure that you're getting the nutrients that your body needs. Yeah, I feel like...
0: Big portion. I think we're supposed to eat till we're full. Like I really feel it wouldn't feel so good. I'm not talking about eating till you are miserable. That does not feel good. But it feels really good to my body to be pleasantly full. Me too. And and I think that you know I look at my my cat eat a big meal and then lay down and go to sleep and she's pleasantly full. Yeah, I mean you know (laughs) it just I think it's how we're we're supposed to be. I don't know. It feels right. Let's talk about muscle building. For a few minutes, I didn't want to, we're just talking and I don't want to miss your, your expertise here as a personal trainer with the whole idea of muscle building. You know, we hear so many people these days who are like, well, my trainer wants me to have a pre-workout and a post-workout and I've got to have protein surrounding my workout. And then I made a joke on a, on a podcast that they would start selling you things to have during your workout. And then sure enough, someone sent me a message. They're like, it's here. It's already here. Here it is. I can't remember what it's called. Like intra-workout meal, like in the middle of your workout.
1: No. So my husband and I, our fitness philosophy is all about functional fitness. So our you know movements that are mimicked by real-life movements. Like we would never do a bicep curl, for example, because you don't do that in real life. And I was just listening to one of the podcasts with Melanie the other day, and you guys were talking about this. Think about the Roman Gladiator and the early Greek athletes, they were all working out very hard. None of them were using pre-workout, post-workout, during-workout. And those are not even regulated by the FDA. Anybody can make some supplement or something, market it, and that's it. We don't tell our clients to use any of that stuff. Just real, real whole foods, that's really all we tell them. Whole foods, not things in a box or a package and ingredients that you can pronounce not frankenfoods real foods and if they want to do the everything in moderation that's fine but we personally don't take any of those supplements or pre and post and we work out very hard and we lift a lot of weights and for the four years that we were doing exclusively crossfit we never took any of that stuff And so do you work out in the fasted state? I do now, yes. Um, During the weekend, I work out in the morning, and it's usually at about hour 18 or 19 of my fast, and it feels amazing. I didn't start out that way. I had to ease into it, but now it feels amazing. And then during the week, I stop eating at 12, usually I work out. During the week around six or seven PM. So that's maybe not as much into the fast, but it's but I still have pretty empty stomach. You're certainly not fueling up within an hour of your workout either way. Oh no. And and that's what I used to do. I mean, I used to tell people, at least eat a banana, you know, at least do something. I I'd always have coffee for sure. And that's that's what you were you and Melanie were talking about. Coffee. That's the best <laughs> pre-workout. The black coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love to hear that you're
0: like not telling people <laughs> that they have to have those things because really, I mean, those things just kind of exploded on the scene just recently. Like when I first started with intermittent fasting and had the groups in 2016, 2015, 2017,
1: even no one was talking about them. Then all of a sudden it is, It's but it's a business like everything else, College is a business in this country. Um, healthcare is a business. And that's why that's another great thing about intermittent fasting. It's free. You don't need to buy anything. So I
0: wonder, do y'all ever promote intermittent fasting to your clients? Do you talk about it with them?
1: Well, we have a lot of regular clients and they started to notice the changes in us. So we decided, well, I decided for myself, I'm not gonna talk about this. But if somebody asked me, because I look totally different, what are you doing? Then I'm gonna not stop talk about it, not stop talking about it. So two of my clients are doing it. For me, the one person that I really wanted to talk to this about was my mom. And I'm happy to say that in the past five months, or actually just in the past one month, my mom is doing it. My stepmom is doing it. My dad is doing it. My husband is doing it. Oh, I'm so glad. Ooh, that's fabulous. And one of my clients that's doing it, and she will listen to me on this podcast anyway because she's been listening to the podcast. She also loves it and is probably three months in now. And so my joke is we're going to have a a DC intermittent fasting army by the end of the year. (laughs) I love it. That's the goal. (laughs) love that your, that your parents are doing it also,
0: because it's, it's just powerful to see that, that they, they want to do it. I bet, I mean, did they ever
1: like say, I'm going to do paleo with you? I'm going to do. No, 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 no. And in fact, <laughs> I had that feeling. And, and that's the thing with, with my mom, I thought she was going to be like, Oh, this is just another one of her things. You know, it was paleo, then it was plant-based then it was this, but my mom was sort of the hardest sell because it was a little bit hard. My stepmom was just like, you look amazing. What are you doing? And then she was like, there, I'm there. My husband is the one that talked to my dad about it. And he was he was a little bit skeptical. And the last time I talked to him, he said, well, I'm going to give it two months. And then I thought, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you can't give it two months. In fact, whenever I see people on Facebook who think that they, I'm going to give it a month. No, you need to give it a year. You need to give it a full year because everybody has a different timeline. And one of the things that is probably my biggest pet peeve about Americans and our culture is this need for instant gratification. I, I told you it took me three years. You know, we see it at the checkout counter, though. Yeah, oh yeah. But I mean, it took me three years to gain this weight. It might take me three years to
0: lose it. Can I just real quick go back to circle back to? I'm so envious that your your mom, dad, and stepmother do it because. Those are three people in my life that I wish would do intermittent fasting. My mom, my dad, and my stepmother.
1: <laughs> and none of them well, will. have they read your book? Have they listened to your podcast?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm their, I'm their daughter, right?
1: <laughs> well, that's really surprising, though, to me, because especially knowing how many followers you have. And it, it, again, whenever, whenever I talk to people about it, I don't even really mention the weight loss. I really push the autophagy. And that was the biggest selling point for me, for my husband. And so for my parents, yeah, I look different and I'm I am wearing smaller size clothing and things like that. And I've, I'm losing weight, but my vision has improved. I'm not high strong like I used to be, I'm sort of happy all the time. And my sleep is amazing. And I have this mental clarity. Those are the things I focus on. And I can't believe that they that they wouldn't even try it.
0: I do have one brother who does it. One brother does it with his wife. And also I have two brothers and a sister. My sister's a dabbler, but one brother, she won't fast clean. Can you believe it? I'm saying this on the air for the first time. My own sister won't fast clean. She's like, I just like cream and
1: sugar in my coffee, cream and sugar. She's like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm like, it is. That's the funny thing about my mom is that she was sort of already doing it, but she was putting cream and stevia in her coffee and she was having like one piece of toast before her meal and then maybe some pistachios in the evening. So I said, mom, all you have to do is drink the coffee black. And I told her how to make like really high quality, good black coffee. Take out that piece of bread. Take out that after dinner snack. You're already there. And I was with her, so we did it together for four days. I switched back to sixteen eight to do it with her. I got her the zero app, <laughs> and that's it. Yep, awesome. Well,
0: maybe one day they'll, but I think it's just hard when it, when it's me. They're like, I, we can't listen to you. <laughs> they probably would be more likely to listening to somebody else. I don't know, but um, that's my my own little interesting story there that maybe everybody didn't know. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business.
1: Absolutely, positively FedEx. It's 3 o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this... You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery
0: store near you. So let's talk about body recomposition. And we mentioned it, you you hinted around at it earlier, you know, how at 190, I was a lot fluffier than you and wearing a bigger size just because you have all the, the muscle mass. You're leaner. Explain body recomposition from the, the side of a personal trainer and in your own journey.
1: Well, body recomposition is is a pretty amazing thing. Even when I was losing weight the first time, I think it wasn't as dramatic as it is with intermittent fasting. And I don't know if that's because of the increased human growth hormone or something about with intermittent fasting, the way that the body sort of shrinks together, I guess. I think it also is that we are, because we're fast and clean,
0: we are able to tap into our fat stores preferentially like never before. Like those fat stores are wide open to us. That's the one two punch. The now our body can really get to the fat for fuel and the increased human growth hormone.
1: Yeah, I guess that's part of it too. And I'm sure you've seen that picture of a pound of fat next to a pound of muscle. So that's sort of the best explanation for it is that it, it becomes dense. Personal trainers are taught that you can't increase muscle and lose fat at the same time. But with intermittent fasting, I think that's, that's proven wrong. That's so interesting. I've never heard that. Why, why do they say you can't, can't do that? Um, I guess because when you're targeting fat in the personal training world, you're restricting calories and you're increasing your exercise and you're doing certain rep schemes to do that, to get to that fat loss. Whereas when you're building muscle, you need to lift heavier and do less repetitions. Even though they do work hand in hand, because, and that and that's the other reason, by the way, that men will always lose weight faster than women, is because the more muscle you have, the more calories you're burning, even at rest. So men always have higher muscle percentages than women naturally, and that's why they lose weight faster. Yeah. That's, that's
0: very true. Now, I'm thinking about the whole fasting and the building and the breaking down. And I guess, tell me if this would make sense to you as a personal trainer. During the fast, we are catabolic, breaking things down. Whereas during the, the eating window, that's the anabolic phase where our bodies are rebuilding.
1: Yeah, that's true. I don't know enough about the science part of how the fast what role the fast plays in that. And I, but I do know that for somebody who needs to gain weight and gain muscle, they definitely have to eat a significant amount more of food and they have to do very specific workouts where they're lifting heavy and not just, you know, they can't just run on a treadmill, for example. Right. If they're really trying to get that
0: muscle building. So I think we The fast primes us to burn the fat, also autophagy is going on, we're recycling those proteins. But then during the eating window, that's when our body takes what we're eating, the, the good nutrients that we're feeding, and then is able to like reconstruct stuff.
1: Absolutely. But even if you take five different people and you start all of them on, say, intermittent fasting and a specific workout regime, you start all five of those people. And let's say one of them is morbidly obese who's never exercised in their life. One of them is a Olympic athlete and then maybe three in, bet- in between. All five of those journeys are going to be different, even though they're all in the same protocol. Because the person who's morbidly obese, who's never exercised in their life, they have to start with, okay, let's learn how to get on and off the couch properly by squatting. They have to start there. They're not going to be able to start doing um, Turkish get-ups and man-makers on their first workout. Oh, yeah. I don't think I could do a <laughs> Turkish get-up. I don't know what it is, but I'm scared of it. <laughs> What's a Turkish get-up? A Turkish getup is an exercise that is pretty complicated and I should send you, there's a picture that this is big in the CrossFit community of what you do is you're lying on your back and one knee is bent, one leg is straight and you're holding an object in an outstretched hand. And there's a person, usually you're holding either a kettlebell or a dumbbell in your hand. And it's, you're on the ground, but you have to get all the way up to a standing position. And there's a person who does a full Turkish getup holding his wife in one hand. Oh my gosh. Yes. That sounds really hard. (laughs) Well, that's, that's superhuman. That's
0: not, that's that's the point of it. Yeah. Yeah. Jen is not doing Turkish
1: getups. I'm, I'm getting up off the couch very easily there. Well, and hopefully when you get off the up and down the couch, then you're not using your arms. So that should be a squat, a full squat down and a full squat up. I can do the thing where you're sitting cross-legged and get up without your hands. Well, that's good.
0: What's that called? Um, cross-legged, getting up with your hands. That's still sort of a squat. Without without getting up with You don't have to use your hands. You just are cross-legged and then you get up. I don't know. Someone said, can you do this one time? And I was like, yes. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if you watch people that are not in good shape... They're using their hands all the time. That's number one in functional fitness. This is a a movement you're doing at least 50 times a day or more. That's 50 squats or so a day. So if you're doing it correctly and engaging your core and making sure you're using your quads and your glutes, that's going to be an extra 50 to 100 squats every day.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm going to pay more attention to that and focus on not using my hands. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And watch other people how they get up and down. It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, that a little shift like that, just as you move through the day can make a Mm -hmm. difference, I guess. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love the idea of functional fitness. You've heard me say before, I like to lift my San Pellegrino. I like to haul things, you know, just in my life. And like when I had a really heavy suitcase, when I was traveling, someone's like, can I help you? And I said, no. (laughs) You know, because that's me using my muscles to do something.
1: Yes. and, And as long as you're using the right form and technique, so the deadlift is a perfect example of that. It is the perfect example of the correct way to pick something up off the ground. So whether you drop your keys or you're lifting a barbell with 200 pounds off the floor, the deadlift is the most functional way to pick something up without hurting your back. So how should my body be? Is it kind of like straight up and going? there's lifting with your legs? You are absolutely lifting with your legs. And if you watch a toddler pick something up off the ground, they naturally do a deadlift. And it's not until they learn the bad habits from the adults around them where we just bend to pick it up with a rounded back. That's where it all goes wrong from there. So again, it's functional. It's keeping your back straight. You're keeping your back straight. So if you imagine that you're looking at the wall and your chest the whole time, your back is flat and your chest and your face are toward the wall, kind of like a gorilla, and you're going up and down like an elevator to pick up that object and you're feeling it in your remain
0: like parallel to the wall and vertical.
1: Well, I mean, you don't have to face, you're just front facing a wall that the point, if you think I always use the example of a gorilla, <laughs> if you think of how a gorilla looks, you're like a gorilla and meaning that when you go down, your back is straight, your knees are bent. Your chest and face are just straight toward the wall. And then when you pick up the object, you should feel tension in your forearms and tension in your hamstrings. All right. Well, that's I'm going to keep that in my mind. If you want, I can send you a link on how to do a proper deadlift. And 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 you're going to see the example with a barbell, but it can be a key ring as well. It can be anything. And all those boxes you mentioned? That's where it's really important to use the proper lifting technique. Well, I have a
0: big pile of boxes in my garage right now. I had everything completely put away and then we sold our house finally, thank goodness. And it, it was the weekend before we were turning over the house to the, the new people and we had not moved everything out of the attic. <laughs> so we, I had to clean the attic out by myself and move everything down the little attic stairs. And now they're all just in the garage and I have to move them into the attic here. So I'm going to really pay attention to how I move those boxes.
1: Yes. If you're feeling it in your hamstrings and in your lower back, but in a good way, you're doing it correctly. Okay.
0: Well, that's a good tip.
1: And it's excellent for you. If that And you know, lifting heavy objects like that also helps to release human growth hormone.
0: Oh, well, yay. That's a, even more of a benefit. Yeah. I've got to get those boxes moved because the garage was all nice and clean and now it's piled full of stuff again. <laughs> but now I'm like over it. You know, we moved in August. And so now I'm like, Oh, I'm done moving, but
1: I'm not <laughs> well, I know you mentioned the the minimalist thing once maybe you could get rid of all of that stuff, <laughs> yeah, this is all stuff
0: like keepsakes like children's art and things things I don't want to get rid of my husband's chemistry books from and he I can't get rid of those or I would have already <laughs> it's stuff like that, and you're right. there is problem. I got rid of a lot. maybe I could go through some of it and get rid of it, but it's uh, it's toys. A lot of it is also toys. Believe it or not, it's toys that I put away when my kids had outgrown them, and I was like, "These are going to be great toys for grandchildren." Like all the Playmobil. I mean, we have probably hundreds of dollars of Playmobil. Do you know what Playmobil is? Uh, I think is it a brand of toys. Yes, and mm-hmm. my children were obsessed with them, and you build them, and it's little people, and you act them out. So stuff like that.
1: Definitely save those for the grandkids. The
0: grand. It's bu- It's I think it's books keepsakes and toys for the grandchildren. (laughs) Anyway, one day I'll have grandchildren. Right now I just have a grand dog. (laughs) So we are almost out of time. So I like to end by asking what is something you would tell someone just starting off or what do you wish you knew when you had gotten started?
1: What I would tell someone first starting off is, number one, if you are doing this for weight loss, which I hope you're not, I hope you're doing it for the rest of your life and I hope you're doing it for autophagy first, but if you are doing it for weight loss, understand that the normal healthy rate of weight loss is 1% of your total body weight per week. It is not 10 pounds a week or 5 pounds a week. It is slow and however long it took you to gain it is probably how long it's going to take you to lose it.
0: And it's really not even possible
1: to lose 5 to 10 pounds of fat in a week. Exactly. It's water weight. It's water weight. And if you're doing keto, then there's some stuff there too with the glycogen. But that's a complicated thing. I would also say it's not a contest. I would advise people to start with sixteen eight, do it for 30 days, and let it naturally morph to whatever it's going to be. Stop with the instant gratification. Enjoy the journey. Because if you're only obsessed with the weight loss part, what are, you're missing out on the everyday amazingness of it. And I would say that we stop calling them non-scale victories and just call them victories. Oh, I love that. Because to me, my the fact that my vision has improved is so incredible and so huge. I don't want to call that a non-scale victory. That is a victory.
0: I agree with you. That's a great word shift. I've never thought of it that way. We did not invent the idea of non-scale victory. That's been diet lingo for, I don't know, but it's been around. I mean, you know, I've been in the diet world just as a dieter and I've always seen non-scale victory.
1: Okay. I had never seen it until I got on your <laughs> your Facebook page. Well, because we got a lot of ex-dieters all together. <laughs> we know all the diet lingo. We
0: know all of it. Well, the other funny thing <laughs>
1: is there's all the different eating styles because I went from a plant-based Facebook group to yours where there's carnivores, there's keto, there's all, that was a little scary. <laughs> oh yeah. I bet so. And we love all of you. (laughs) And and we don't (laughs) preach and we don't proselytize um, our respective eating styles, but I would advise people to embrace whole foods. Over time, um, of course, don't make too many changes at once, but because you, you're going to listen to your cravings, listen to your body, and I actually have that in the new book too. Yeah, and if you're a don't vegan, try to do intermittent. Yeah. if you're a vegan who all of a sudden wants fish, there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> listen
0: to your body, exactly.
1: <laughs> but yeah, in the new book, the first 28 days
0: is not the time to start intermittent fasting and 100% change your diet yes. at the same time. Yes. Exactly. The goal is to nail the clean fast first, mm-hmm. then your body will say, send me some fish or whatever, and you listen.
1: Yeah. And just enjoy every single day because every single day is a new, amazing thing. And and some of those things are hard to articulate and hard to keep track of. And then all of a sudden, one day people are going to be asking you, wow, you look so different. What are you doing? Then you get to talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> well, Samantha, I have really enjoyed talking to you, and thank you so much for being here with
0: us today. Thank you so much. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at dot com, and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. remember,